0: Couple Advisory Solutions is an SEC-registered investment advisor and only transacts business in states where the firm is properly registered or is excluded or exempt from registration requirements.
1: I wish that our stock market were as honest as every casino I go into. The gambling propensity is strong in people. To do mathematically unintelligent things... Welcome to Libel on Fire with Libel Sternbach, the financial independence and retirement show dedicated to helping you build the life of your dreams as fast as possible, with as little stress as possible. Libel Sternbach is the author of Living with Financial Anxiety and Authenticity. Libel's advice has been featured in countless publications, including Reader's Digest, USA Today, Yahoo Finance, CNN Business, Investment News, and and Market Watch, Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Libel on Fire.
2: Hi again, everybody, I'm Freddie Bell and welcome to our program with Libel Sternbach. He's Libel on Fire. He's the author of a wonderful book entitled Living with Financial Anxiety and Authenticity. He gives advice and he's been featured on a lot of different publications, Yahoo Finance, CNN Business, Investment okay. News, Market Watch, and more. We want to talk about advisors, and LIBO, welcome to the program. And as I'm thinking about this, I've seen a lot of uh, commercials on television. I hear them on radio, and they're talking about financial advisors, and they go, oh, wait a minute, Uh, you don't have to pay me because I've got my fees coming this way, or uh, it's only a small commission. I'm just wondering, Wall Street recently did a series of articles on how advisors get paid, and it made me realize that there are so many different people who call themselves financial advisors, I'm using air quotes. So, what is liable a financial advisor?
3: That is a really great question. <laughs> um, I, In the course of my career, I have worked with so many people who have called themselves financial advisors. I have worked with mortgage brokers. I have worked with real estate investors. I have worked with people who are completely unlicensed in anything at all and just help people negotiate with the bank. Um, I've worked with people just do coaching. Uh, There is such a full spectrum of people who call themselves financial advisors. And the truth is, is that the term financial advisor is not regulated. Uh, If someone were to call themselves an attorney, Right. They could they would get um, they can get arrested. They can get sued for uh, false advertisement if they weren't actually an attorney. Financial advisor is not one of those regulated terms that somebody could sue you or the government could come after you and say, no, you're not a financial advisor. Um, New York State and a few states are starting to uh, pass laws that someone can't call themselves a financial planner. Unless they have a specific designation uh, or education in financial planning, but that is something that is happening very slowly. So when you're talking to someone who calls themselves a financial advisor, you really gotta ask yourself and you gotta you gotta pull out from them what makes them a financial advisor. Are they a salesperson in disguise? Or are they a professor?
2: Or what is it that makes them an advisor? It's kind of disturbing that you say that, that anybody can do that. So are are you really, really saying that Freddie Bell can say that he's a financial advisor and you can say that John Jones down the street, he can call himself a financial advisor with without any penalty libel? Correct. And they do it all the time. That's concerning. They do it all the time. Yep. How do you determine who's real, who's not, who really is a financial advisor.
3: There's an article that I did with LegalZoom uh, walking through about how to differentiate different types of financial advisors. But the short version of it is you want to ask them, what is it that makes them an advisor? What makes it, what exactly is it that they do? How do they get paid? And what makes them the expert at what they do? And whatever whatever answers they give you, one, you have to be comfortable with it, but you should also get yourself a second opinion. You go to a doctor, right? And they give you a prognosis. And unless it's you got a cold, chances are you go to another doctor and you ask them their opinion. Mm-hmm. You should do that with your financial advisor because it, the fact that there isn't a standardized education for... For doing pretty much almost anything in the financial industry there, you know, if you want to sell, if you want to sell a stock, there's a standard test for that. If you want to sell an insurance product, there's a standard test for that. But that test is just designed to make sure that you have some basic knowledge. It doesn't tell you you know, is it right for somebody? What use cases should you do it? It's not like a doctor who's, you know, could be in school for up to 12 years or more in order to become a doctor or a lawyer who has, you know, a minimum of, you know, a bachelor's and three years of uh, of, of law school at, at a minimum in order to become a lawyer. There, There isn't that much education requirements, if any, to become a financial advisor. So you really want to know, what is it that makes them an expert? And then get a second opinion because and a third opinion, until you find one that resonates with you and you know, you believe to be true because it, it may very well not be.
2: Interesting. I'm wondering, would this be a good litmus test if we look for a difference? If somebody's charging me a fee, is that uh, or somebody who is a fiduciary? What do those terms even mean? Is that a way to differentiate between somebody who's really uh, has your best interests at heart or who does not?
3: So let's talk about it. And then you can decide for yourself, you know, (laughs) whether it makes you feel good. And I, I, I have to say that the industry has, the industry has its own opinions about this. And I am not, I've been doing this, you know, and working with financial advisors, for more than 15 years now, almost 20 years now, and I, honestly, I've seen good advisors and bad advisors on all on the whole spectrum. So I don't I don't think the fee structure is necessarily reflective of whether you're getting good advice or not. Mm-hmm. In theory, it should help align it. So let's let's talk about the different ways that advisors get compensated and what they're called. So when when financial services really first came about it was stockbrokers you had you wanted to own a piece of a public company because that was the primary way for companies to raise capital that the you know they need money more money than a bank is willing to loan out and to do big projects like build skyscrapers and cities and power plants and things like you know major projects that you just can't go to one bank and ask them for money for or even go to 10 banks and ask them money for they don't want to take on that risk so you go to the public and you say have a piece of this Massive project that we're going to do, and you're going to own a piece of the company. So, stockbrokers came about as the as the intermediary, inter, <laughs> as the middleman between the public and the companies, and they would represent the companies and they would help advise the public in choosing and evaluating companies. But stockbrokers are salespeople, right? They get paid on the sale that they make. So you know where their loyalties lie. And while they will educate you, and there is a standard that they have to uphold, at the end of the day, they're getting paid a commission, right? You then have insurance. So insurance, while technically is not an investment, it is something that can provide investment-like values that investors are looking for. And when I say investment like values, you invest for the outcome, right? We're not investing because, well, few people invest because they want to own the company. People did invest in Tesla because they want they believed in the mission. But most people do not invest in the S&P 500 because they believe in the top 500 companies in the S&P 500. What they're investing for is return. They're investing for retirement. They're investing for that compounding interest. They're investing because it is the one asset class that has consistently produced, you know, six to 7% inflation adjusted returns over the last 100 plus years. They're looking for that to help build them a retirement. So, insurance companies do provide products that can provide similar benefits for retirees for investors as they're looking for in in terms of investments and they can also provide other services whether it's long-term care insurance life insurance other types of benefits downside protection that you wouldn't get by investing in the stock market however again you cannot well very few insurance companies allow you to go directly to the insurance company to buy a policy. So in order for you as the public to purchase a policy, you have to go through an agent. Even if you're calling up the insurance company, even if you are, you know, doing it online, you are technically going through an insurance agent. That insurance agent is kind of like a real estate agent. They're a salesperson. Mm-hmm. They may or may not get paid a commission. Traditionally, they're paid a commission on the product they sell. So they, again, have an incentive to sell you a product. And while they do want to recommend the best product, and while you can sue them if you, they don't provide, you know, they don't make a good recommendation... There's still that, you know, a little bit of a disconnect of, well, they're getting paid a commission. And so they may have an incentive to offer you something that's not necessarily in your best interest. You also have the question of, well, are they representing one company or multiple companies? Mm-hmm. Because every company specializes in their type of insurance and their type of risk. And so while one company might be really great for your neighbor, they may not be the right one for you. And so you want to make sure that you have somebody who is what's called a broker who can go to multiple companies. But again, not all companies pay the same amount. So somebody may be incentivized to recommend one company's product over another. So you want to keep those biases biases in mind.
2: Very important. So you mentioned insurance agent. I know insurance agents uh, make a commission. Does a fiduciary make a commission or how are they paid and why should I care?
3: So there a uh, fiduciary is a uh, is a technical term it's a it's a legal term to someone who has a legal responsibility to your money and technically it's actually it it goes back hundreds of years the term fiduciary mm. and lots of people have limited fiduciary duty. They have a duty to your money in the context of a specific case. Uh, you know, you give money to a real estate agent or you give money to an attorney or you give money to an insurance agent. They have a fiduciary responsibility to that money to make sure that it's protected, to make sure that it is used for its designated purpose in investments there is a term called fiduciary, there are advisors, there are people who are regulated to a standard that's known as the fiduciary standard, which, again, we're talking about a legal definition, right? So they, in generally the cases, you know, the SEC or the local state securities administrator will regulate and say, who is a fiduciary? What are their responsibilities as a fiduciary? And the kind of colloquial wisdom and the wisdom that the industry says is it means putting your interest first above the interest of the firm. And that is, you know, on the surface, what a fiduciary is, how that takes form, and whether someone can sell insurance at the same time as being, you know, a commissionable product and still be a fiduciary, they may be able to do that, right? And so being a fiduciary is a higher status but it does not automatically make someone you know make the advice better it's just a legal definition so you really want to ask yourself the question and you want to get from your advisor you want it in writing from them that says you know i am going to put your interest first these are the ways that i am getting compensated these are my biases and i am disclosing them to you these are the limitations in the advice that i can give you You know, maybe they can only represent certain products. Maybe they have affiliations with certain vendors and you want to find out from them what those biases are. And a good advisor will be very upfront with you about them because they know they exist and they want the two of you to be on the same page.
2: It really does make a a lot of sense. We're just under a minute here before we have to break step away. So are you saying in summary that a good advisor is one who puts your interest first, no matter what the the letters that come behind the name happen to be?
3: Absolutely. And they and they will put it in writing. That is something that you want. If, if someone is not willing to put that in writing, that they're going to put your interest first and how and where their biases are, then you really should think twice about working with them. Um, you really should think twice. There may be good reasons for it, but there's plenty of other advisors who are willing to put that in writing for you. Um, and, and something we didn't mention, which we'll, we should get to in our next segment, is fee-only advisors, which is, you know, a subset of those fiduciary advisors um, who eliminate that commission bias.
2: Um, so, you've got you you've got layers within layers in this industry. Very interesting. That's Leibel Sternbach right there. And when we come back, we'll be talking about that fee-based advisor as well as the commission advisor. And we've got a question from Penny. You're listening to Libel on Fire, and I'm Freddie Bell. We'll be right back.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Libel on Fire. If you have questions about today's topic, please submit them on our Facebook group at libelonfire.com slash Facebook. And if you would like a free signed copy of Living with Financial Anxiety and Authenticity, visit libelonfire.com. Now back to Libel on Fire.
2: Hi again, everybody. I'm glad you're staying with us. We're talking with Leibel Sternbach. He's the author of Living with Financial Anxiety and Authenticity. You can read his writings literally everywhere. We've been talking about the difference between a financial advisor and don't laugh, Leibel between a financial advisor and a financial advisor. As we were stepping away, we talked about a commission based advisor and a fee based advisor. Is there really a difference between the two, sir?
3: So there is a difference in how they are paid that may not reflect the advice they give or the quality of the advice but it it is reflected in how they are paid so when we t- we were talking about you know commission advisors whether they're stockbrokers or they work for a broker dealer and they get paid on the sale of a security or a mutual fund Um, And then we talked about the insurance side where you've got commission advice, insurance agents who get paid a commission on products. You also then have the whole fee side and you have fee based and fee only, which is very confusing. But essentially what it is, is you've got people who get paid a fee, usually based on the assets that they're managing. And so that is very prevalent in the registered investment advisor space and the people who... Uh, generally call themselves fiduciary advisors and the way that fee works is and most people are familiar with it you you know if your advisor is managing hundred thousand dollars they may charge you one percent of the assets that they're managing and that will be your management fee and the idea is is that as you're as they do well for you their fee will increase and if they don't do well for you the fee will decrease. And hopefully what that means is that the advisor's interest is in line with your interests. Which, if you just think about that for a second, if the financial advisor, if the, if a financial advisor gets paid more when your assets grow, then they would want your assets to grow which makes sense if the financial advisor you're hiring is purely for investments. So if I'm hiring someone who they say, I've got a great stock strategy and I outperform the market, right? That, that structure makes a lot of sense for somebody like that, right, because I want them to outperform the market. If they don't outperform the market, they're not gonna make as much money. Does it really incentivize them to outperform the market? Not really, because the truth is, is that it's kind of hard to move your money from advisor to advisor. So they may underperform the market, but they're not going to underperform it that much. On the flip side, it also creates this weird incentive for the advisor that they constantly have to create performance. Because if they're not growing your money, then you're going to be asking, why am I paying all this money when I could just put it in a, you know, an S and P 500, an ETF, a mutual fund and either pay a commission once or pay no commissions and get similar performance. So the question becomes, what am I getting for that value? And. The typical answer that advisors will give you, and I work with amazing advisors who do this, and so I do not want to take away at all from the fact that you've got amazing advisors and this is just the fee structure that's set up, but what they do is they provide retirement planning, tax planning, all these financial planning services in addition to their investment advice. And the way that they're getting paid is through the investment management they're not charging you for the financial planning side of it. But what you're really coming to them for is financial planning, and you're getting charged for investment management. And it's created this weird incentive dynamic, which is what the industry is currently set up as. There is a group of advisors who are kind of questioning this. And they're saying, well, it doesn't really make sense that you know, if the market is, you, you can't you can't really outperform the market anymore by being an active manager, um, at least in developed markets. It's very hard to do that. So if I'm not able to pick the best stock for you and perform better, and if you would probably be better off just investing in the S&P 500 and us managing your asset allocation, maybe managing how and when you take money out of your funds to fund your retirement or whatever it is you do. And the real value I provide is on planning, then let me just charge you a planning fee. And that's what these fee only advisors are. Some of them only charge financial planning fees that hourly. Some of them will only charge on the investment management, but they don't do in commission based, right? So where you're adding in an insurance product, so they drop the insurance product cuz there's a bias over there and they'll refer you to like a low load insurance advisor. So that's uh, an insurance advisor who sells products, they don't necessarily get paid a commission or they sell products that have very low commissions on them. So they don't have as much of an incentive on that. And their main focus is on the financial planning side, which I think is you know, kind of where the industry is going. But I think at the same time, it creates this weird disincentive for retirees. Retirees, when we get into retirement, every penny counts. And our goal isn't to outperform the market. Our goal is to not lose money, right? That is yeah. our number one goal. We need Go to protect over. that base. And it, it, it takes, you know, especially as we get older and it, it means a lot more to us and our ability to recover from those losses is, you know, gets shorter and shorter. And it means more to us when our portfolio drops 30% because that could literally be mean the difference between, you know, us, you know, uh, penny pinching and eating cat food versus, you know, being able to eat out that, that, that really makes it hard. And so as a financial advisor, your job goes up dramatically in retirement, uh, with a retiree as they get older, because, You need to help hold their hands and, you know, be the shoulder to cry on and help them, you know, navigate this world that doesn't come with a handbook. Right. It's not laid out for us. And so to incentivize them and to pay them with what is Essentially a decreasing asset, right? Like we, we plan on spending our money down and the vast majority of Americans do not have a mo- enough money saved to retire in retirement. So not only are we not going to have a lot of money for you to charge on, but we're going to be spending it down as we get older. It kind of, you know. <laughs> You're incentivizing, you're incentivizing the wrong type of advisors with that structure. And unfortunately, this is how the industry is set up. The industry is trying to change, but the advisors, um, it creates a very weird incentive structure for advisors. So it's in critically important that when you're working with an advisor, especially as you get older, and as the more the older you get, the more important this gets, mm-hmm. you want it in writing. You want to know what is what is the services they're going to provide you? How do they get paid? And you want to know that they're going to put your interest first above their interests, above their economic interest first and always. And. It may mean at some point having a minimum fee. It may mean at some point paying more in fees than you would when you're younger. And it's easier. It's like, oh, just invest in the market and, you know, we'll have five years in cash. Well, yeah, you know, you hit 75 and you don't have the ability to have five years in cash and you have to, you know, figure out how to save the money when the market has just, you know, tanked. Um, You you got to worry about those
1: things.
2: You're telling me two things. One, I don't want to be a financial advisor when I grow up. And two, the job of an advisor, credible or not, it's really, really difficult. And it really takes a caring person who understands the market and understands and has a really deep knowledge of the products and services that they're offering, which leads me to a question I mentioned before, and we only have about five minutes liable, so I'll be brief in my question. So Penny is asking, and she wrote in, she says, I'm 62, married, and we have a decent amount of retirement savings in our 401ks and our IRAs. As our retirement nears, she says she's concerned about how to go about setting up withdrawals and how to budget for savings. She's also considering hiring a financial advisor liable to set up a plan, but she's worried. She's worried about being taken advantage of with fees and bad advice. I think you've explained this, but how would you answer Penny today on that question?
3: Well, we got four minutes left, right? So, Penny, the... (laughs) (laughs) The answer to your question is you're thinking the right way. As you're thinking about those withdrawals and as you're taking that money out of retirement, timing when you take that money out of your investments is critically important. I want you to Google something. It's called sequence risk. This is probably one of the biggest um, stumbling blocks for retirees because if you you are just automatically taking money out of your investments, then you are going to take money out when the market is down. And if you take money out when the market is down, you're going to compound your losses. That 10% correction that the market has you know on average every eighteen months that is now going to become you know a twelve percent or a fifteen percent loss for you and you're going to be locking in those losses whereas everyone else gets to ride the recovery because they still have that security they still own it so okay the price dropped by fifteen percent but then it recovered you aren't going to have that security to recover from you're not going to have that price increase so now your portfolio has decreased and the. In its ability to grow over the rest of your life has decreased as well. And that's where the real hurt uh, comes in. So when you're looking for a financial advisor, look up the fiduciary oath, Google it there. The CFP board has a good fiduciary oath out there. There's a a few institutes out there. If you look on my website, I got links to them. That's yieldsforyou.com forward slash resources. You want your financial advisor to take a fiduciary oath and you want it in writing. You want to know that how they're getting paid. You want to know that they're going to put your interest first and you want to know what their biases are. the, eh, The next question becomes, do you need a financial advisor to just help you set up the plan and check in regularly? Or do you want somebody managing and holding your hand on a regular basis? That is a question that only you can answer. The costs will change over time it may be cheaper or more expensive for you to hire an advisor up front and then pay them hourly as you get older or it may be the reverse but either way you want to you want to be asking those hard questions of your financial advisor and you want to make sure that no matter what whatever plan you have It protects your physical and emotional needs. You need to at all times feel like your essentials are taken care of, that you will always have a roof over your head, food on the table, and those essential needs that make you feel like a human being, that those are protected and will never be uh, at risk. Because the second that you feel that your essentials are at risk is when you start making bad financial decisions. And the primary job of of a financial advisor, more than making you money, more than saving you on taxes, more than all of that is the helping you navigate that emotional uh, uncertainty and figuring out what it takes for you to feel safe and then figuring out the technicalities of making that happen and protecting you.
2: Really difficult, Tim, but it's really it's really interesting when you think about it, because it seems as if it's a study just in human nature. Uh, I think we have a radar system in, built into us that helps us to detect those who are really not for us. If there was one thing, and we're just about out of time, uh, seriously under about a minute, is there is there one thing that you can share with us before we have to step away, Libel, that uh, we should always remember?
3: Yes, there. If there's one thing that I leave you with, it is you need to make sure that you understand your needs, you understand why and how your advisor can help you, and you feel in your gut and you have confidence in it that your advisor will be there for you when you need them the most and they can take care of you. Because if you don't have that faith, if you are trying to overcome those red flags that you have in your mind that are telling you something's wrong here, and you're just looking at the checklist, you will... You will be set up for failure. You will be setting yourself up for failure. You will be turning in bed at night. So trust that gut instinct of yours, of the advisor that you choose or the plan that you choose and follow it. Because we as human beings are really
2: good at detecting when somebody is leading us astray and trust those instincts. Well said. That's Leibel Sternbach. He's on fire. Leibel on fire, the author of Living with Financial Anxiety and authenticity and liable. Thank you for making us feel so much better this weekend.
1: That's all the time we have for this episode of Libel on Fire, the Financial Independence and Retirement Show, dedicated to helping you build the life of your dreams. If you have questions about today's topic, please submit them in our Facebook group at libelonfire.com/slash/facebook. And if you would like a free copy of Libel's book, Living with Financial Anxiety and Authenticity, visit libelonfire.com. Thanks for listening.
0: Cople Advisory Solutions is an SEC-registered investment advisor and only transacts business in states where the firm is properly registered or is excluded or exempted from registration requirements. Registration as an investment advisor is not an endorsement of the firm by securities regulators and does not mean that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. All investment strategies can result in profit or loss. Information presented on this program is believed to be factual and up-to-date, but we do not guarantee its accuracy and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. discussion should not be construed as any offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell the investments mentioned annuity guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company content should not be viewed as legal or tax advice always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation